grand city of Krasis calls upon you. The Circle of Seers prophesies, the one to synthesize the crest of creation shall become the next grand alchemist. Guide one of six up-and-coming alchemists in their quest to bring forth the crest by uncovering its long-lost recipe. Journey outside of Krasis to explore the bountiful foraging fields of Alchemia. Scavenge through the foraging fields to collect the reagents necessary to synthesize new and powerful items, leading you ever closer to uncovering the crest's recipe. The crest awaits a worthy alchemist to wield its power. Destiny's recipe has called for you. Will you answer? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Fat Games Podcast. On this episode, Gary and I, uh, as always, have some very special and amazing guests. It is our first time hosting uh, some tabletop game developers, and also our first time having five people on at the same time. I would like to welcome the wonderful people from Kinsol Studio. Let's start with some introductions. Uh, Matt and Adam, why don't you guys go first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Matt. I'm Adam. Uh, we are two of the five of Kinsel, um, and we handle a lot of the business, logistics, financials, conventions, project management, you name it. We're all kind of fluid, so we all do a lot of things, but that's what we focus on a lot. Logistics and shipping stuff is more my game, but um, I also help out with you know, conventions or any sort of thing he wants to throw my way. That's <laughs> true. Exciting. Uh, Eric and Jeff? Hello, I'm Eric, and I'm Jeff, and we are numbers uh, three and four of Kinsel Studio. Um, so I mostly work with the mid-stage when we're designing games, as in I do a lot of playtesting and I do a lot of work with mechanics, etc. And I tend to do a lot of the earlier stage stuff, so I'm generally concept design. You know, after we kind of figure out what we want to do, I'm usually figuring out characters and powers, etc. Uh, and then I also usually work close with the artist um, just to make sure that gets done. All right, uh, Jordan. Hi, uh, I'm Jordan, I'm number five. And I, uh, my position is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I mostly just do development, although I also help out at conventions and uh, you know do the schmoozing and selling at those things. Um, but yeah, I work on the beginning and middle and end of development of a game. Although so far with Kinsole, I only have the, the one game, Steep Sears, because I'm the, the newest member of the crew. Great. So I first met Matt, Jeff, Adam, and Eric. I think that was in 2015 or was it 2016, one of those two years? Yeah. At the first FlameCon. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, instead of talking about how I met you guys, how did you guys all meet one another? How did Kinsoul kind of become its thing? Uh, it, it's an interesting mix of things. That's uh, a lot. Yeah, that's a long that's a story. Lot, okay. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of long stories. I'll try to sum it up as best as I can. Um, so Jeff and I were friends, like just kind of online, aim friends, you know, 
hashtag 2000s, right? Um, and we, we were friends online for the longest time and just were talking about games and whatever. And um, eventually we ended up meeting, you know, in person like 10 or 12 or plus years ago. I don't even know. And, you know, we've just been great friends the whole time and ever since. Um, Jeff came with Eric because they are a couple. And then I came with Adam because we are a couple. <laughs> and so the four of us sort of just became an entity and uh mm-hmm. you know it sort of grew into what it was um and then do you, do you guys want to talk about how jordan got at it yeah absolutely so jordan cut my hair <laughs> this is true yeah, you, you should tell your side of it first uh, i can't remember all of it but pretty much i can't remember who i was talking to but i was you know kind of talking about my games and stuff and they were like, oh, you should go talk to this guy, Jordan. He cuts hairs. He would totally love to hear about it. And the first time I was told that, I thought, no, I don't want to go in this guy's like barbershop and be pitching my games and whatever. So I didn't do it that first time. But then someone m- mentioned it again, like later. And I was like, well, I need a haircut. So I'll just go in there. And then, you know, you go in there and he's super friendly and asking what you do and then gets excited about games. And then we became friends pretty quickly. And then everyone met him after that. So, so you literally did a pitch of what Steve Sears or Alchemia and he was like, count me in. Well, so, you know, it's, uh, it's funny, like the town where we were, li- we are living in it. Well, they're living in, I'm not there anymore, but uh, Ithaca, it's kind of a small place. So the nerds start to get to know each other and, uh, so it turns out a mutual friend had actually told Jeff to come see me. Um, and I had just reached this sort of epiphany for myself that I, the only thing stopping me from becoming a game designer was just choosing to make games. And so I was already like I was coming up with all kinds of wild ideas for new games and stuff, but not really sure like what direction to take it, how to get there. And then Jeff sat down in the chair and started talking to me about game design. They were right in the middle of the Kickstarter for Alchemia, actually, at that time. Oh, really? And um, it was actually it was near the end of the Kickstarter. Um, but I got wrapped up and excited and, you know, about the whole process. And they invited me over to play test uh, then Steep Sears. And then we just started hanging out as friends. And before I knew it, it was like, Hey, do you want to come on as like a consultant for Steep Sears? And then as time moved on, it turned into want to join the crew, <laughs> you know? Okay. So I kind of like a buttery amoeba. I melded into the group. There you go. So in the in the sense, you were as a barber, you're one haircut away from your dreams. There you go. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know how many people can actually say that in real life. Um, so that's actually an incredible story. So we've had a lot of indie developers, mostly in the, of the video game kind on the podcast. And uh, a lot of them choose to either work solo or there's a husband and wife duo or there is a financial relationship there. And one of them is just contracted out to the other. So it is really incredible that the five of you sort of came together, maybe the sort of small community uh, fostered that. But um, I'd say predominantly awesome. over the love of games, which is, I think, a really good place to start with development. Yeah, definitely. 
that, that's that's sure. awesome. Um, we're going to talk more about that because I have more questions now. All right, <laughs> uh, let's cool. start with the first game, uh, Alchemia, Destiny's Recipe. So I first saw this at, as I said, FlameCon, and I think I saw it again at FlameCon too. I contributed the Kickstarter. Um, what was the inspiration behind this? How did you guys come up with this? So for this one, I feel like Alchemia actually predates Kinsel Studio and that Alchemia was kind of the glue that formed Kinsel Studio, so to say. I have a distinct memory of us all like sitting around Matt's uh, kitchen table and we were just like, we had a long weekend of playing games. And on Sunday before we were leaving, we were just like, hmm, you know, I wonder what it takes to like actually make a game and maybe we should just, you know, do it. And then we got brainstorming at that time. And then in that brainstorming process, the concept of alchemy and uh, making an alchemical themed board game kind of burned itself from there. And then we we're like, oh, good God, what have we got ourselves into? This is incredible amounts of work. Pretty that much. Came, that came oh, a bit later. But yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. And that story, I distinctly remember the moment where we were like, oh, yeah, you know, how, you know, what, what could we do? What, like, what would happen? And like, we just like fell silent for I don't even know 10-15 minutes I mean it was an extended amount of time and by the time we were done and we all talked again within an hour of conversation we had the basis of alchemia worked out and we were like yeah maybe this is what we should be doing <laughs> it's incredible yeah so it's uh alchemia is more of a resource-based management game so do you want to talk a little bit more about the gameplay there or yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, as you said, it's, a, it's an item crafting resource management game um, where you take the role of an alchemist who is trying to prove themselves, uh, you know, they're kind of up and coming uh, newer alchemists and they're trying to get experience and prove themselves. And there's sort of a, a catastrophic-esque event on the horizon and they're trying to raise themselves, raise themselves up to the position of a grand alchemist so they can like help and, you know, kind of help fix everything. Um, so they're given a, a test to create a legendary item, the Crest of Creation. The only problem is nobody knows how to make it. So throughout the game, you go around collecting resources, crafting items, getting powers, doing all sorts of cool things, bending the rules in different ways um, and combos and you know things like that. Um, and as you create items, it's like research and you learn how to create this lost item. Um, and you literally piece it together. And then it's the first person to piece together the recipe and complete it uh, is the winner. That sounds great. And it is a very fun game. Um, I've never played it with you guys before though. Uh, maybe that, will, that will probably need to change at some point in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Depending on what the kind of experience you want, you could play with me if you want like some power fantasy because I'm quite bad at Alchemia, even though it's fun to play. Um, but choose one of the others if you want an actual uh, competition. Um, noted. Okay. Well, you guys need to come down to the city or I need to make it up there before, the, before that happens. Yeah, absolutely. We'll figure that out in COVID times. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so um, your second game uh, was Steep Sears. It oh. is more of a card-based game. Uh, let's talk about that. A little bit. Uh, yeah, uh, Eric. Want to cover that, Eric, since it was your, like, your idea child? Or you <laughs> can start us off again. Uh, so Steep Sears is kind of a blend between fortune telling and brewing tea. 
And we, this is kind of funny because we both, all of us in the group love both fortune telling and brewing tea. I mean, we were doing this before we were Kinsel Studio, so it was kind of like a natural fit for a game that all of us would have some sort of knowledge on and would have some sort of input on. So from there it became, okay, well, how can we blend these concepts together and what mechanics can we use and what have we learned from Alchemia where we can make a tea brewing fortune telling game? Wait, so you got tarot cards? All of you? Are, you know, they're tarot are, card sized. They actually are, have to brew well, tea. Yeah, they're tarot card sized, yeah. But uh, were you guys into tarot cards before this? I don't think I knew this. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all of us in some, some way. Oh, uh, yeah. He's got a deck. I've got a whole drawer full of them. Um, Eric I, likes runes. Eric does tarot and rune reading. And um, I was trying to get into poem reading at one point, but I, the, the book was big. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, we've all been into it in different ways. And like Eric said, we just sort of naturally fell into it. And it, they're the two things that we've just always loved. And we're like, let's see if we can challenge ourselves to make a game out of it. And, and we did. And it's fun because the deck itself, whether in the game or you can just purchase the deck by itself, is an Oracle deck. So you can use it as just that, as a divination tool. I, I don't think I knew that. That is, that's, that's cool. Uh, so, okay. So it's a, it's a, it's a tea making game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, where okay so you both you all like making tea and you all like telling fortunes so you're just going to combine the two to uh make the game then so right. how do you so win the game so that's kind of the thematic glue that holds it together but mechanically wise the game is kind of similar to alchemia where there is a resource gathering mechanic but it's a little different in that you use dice to do so so throughout the game, you'll have four different dice, which represent four different tea ingredient houses. We have fruit, herbs, flowers, and tea leaves. So you'll be making teas with those combinations of ingredients by kind of rolling dice and collecting ingredients. And the other interesting thing about the game is that once you collect your ingredients, there is also a memory mechanic in that you will put them in a bag and they'll be held there blindly until you're ready to um, use them or in game terminology, pour them. Mm -hmm. And at that point the, on the table, there'll be a grid of uh, the cards that you're trying to, in game terminology, again, evoke or just collect and gain points. So you'll pour out all of your ingredients and you'll see, you'll see what you have to be able to make some of those cards. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's pretty much just having the best combination of cards, having the most points and using abilities that are on the cards to um, the best of their synergies to become the winner within 10 rounds. That sounds great. Um, so both Alchemia and Steep Sears have had, kick, uh, have had successful Kickstarter campaigns. Um, Kickstarter is not fun. Let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, the first uh, thing, yeah. Um, or not talk let's, about. Let's start off. Let's skip that question. <laughs> Next, I, I I would love to, but I remember being pinged by pinged by a few of you guys actually on Facebook during the uh, Alchemia Kickstarter. It's like, give us more money, and, um, <laughs> please, everyone we know, give us money now. Thanks. Yeah, that... no, I, I was actually I was I was very happy that both of them were successful, but uh, I know that wasn't easy. So let's let's talk about that. 
Alchemia didn't go through the first time. We I remember I too. I, so, I remember. Uh, yeah, that was an uphill battle for sure. It's that you're always um, working against. Well, what else is being released on Kickstarter at that time? And is a large super mega company going to release something on Kickstarter to get funded at that time? Right. And so that was. I mean, that's always a battle for everyone, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. <laughs> I think the first time was Scythe. Is that what it was? I was trying to remember what game I came out. I think it pretty sure it was Scythe. And we were like, oh, crap. This is going to suck. <laughs> Isn't that the single most well-funded Kickstarter board game? I mean, probably. It was I, th I think it to... was. I mean, it, it looked I, cool, so I, I get it. But Having handled the pieces, like, it, it yeah. feels like a game that was successfully Kickstarted. I mean, <laughs> just... It was up there. I think Kingdom Death Monster may still hold the crown, but I'm not. 100%. That's what I was going to ask. I figured Kingdom Death might have the most. Um, yeah. Fact check us on this. <laughs> fact check. Fact but yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of I don't clearly remember that it was Scythe at least the first time. I'm pretty sure about that. Game of that level. Like something that like absorbed the entire board game, like Kickstarter community. <laughs> um, pretty much funneled all of their efforts into that. And so a lot of different projects were, were sort of affected by it. And then couple that with the fact that it was our very first project. We're very new. Nobody knows us really. Um, it, it it just was sort of destined not to work out that first time. But we recognize that, you know, about we got to learn in. from it and do oh, different yeah. things. Yeah, we did all the prep. You know, we did everything we should have done, and we learned a lot in that process. So when it came to making the second one, the second Kickstarter for Alchemia, um, we took those lessons, refined them, made it all better. You know, improved the page, improved the goal, improved the rewards did a ton of promotion, ton of outreach, um, went to a lot more conventions. That's when we really started stepping up our convention game. Pestered more and more friends and family. <laughs> to so let's yeah. talk about the outreach and the conventions. What did you do there? Uh, so we did attend more, um, like I said, and we decided that that was gonna be a really big focus for us because that moment where you're talking to somebody about a board game, that especially if it's like your own idea or, you know, you're, mm -hmm. or a picture when you go to a convention and you're talking to a developer of any kind and you see that excitement, you see that passion, it, it's infectious, you know, it really like catches on and you get to, people get excited. People love that personal connection, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we had been going to conventions on our own just as guests for a long time. So like, I, I kind of recognized that. I was like, guys, I think we can use this power to like help encourage people to like you know like us and like our games and and it, it so ended up working so it's not like you you don't have like paralyzing anxiety when you go in those situations where it's like well, that's great just sort of i i get extremely anxious at conventions it's very hard for me to promote myself i it's a problem but no, uh understandable understandable i think a lot of people really have that problem and in, in other circles i do too but for some reason at like a game convention i just like wake up and that's i, I mean know. well that's the mega benefit <laughs> of being in such a big group because mm -hmm. we can take that moment like to step away from the table and you know gather yeah. our thoughts and things like that and we if, if we take a break if it's too much exactly mm -hmm. take it on as a team because i hear you on like feeling anxious and, and you know, right, right before it starts and people start coming in it gets like all of a sudden i forgot every single thing <laughs> I'm supposed to say and i just am babbling and feel like i didn't represent the game well but then you know it moves on and mm -hmm. feel comfortable and it becomes so like a lot of fun so i can't wait till we start getting back into these yeah me too I, I i regret that i wasn't playing yc so aside from the conventions what kind of like social media outreach did you guys do 
Um, mostly reaching out to friends and family. That's one of the things looking back on the two Kickstarters that I'm always thinking about is if we were to do a third one, what is something that we could definitely improve on? And getting the Kickstarter ready is kind of like running a marathon. And no we, <laughs> I, we tired ourselves out pretty quickly because we didn't actually have any kind of professional Kickstarter help. We did everything ourselves. And let's try to use like all of our skills to kind of patchwork the Kickstarter campaign together. Um, if we had professional help, that might have lessened our burden a little bit. And also having more funds for like paid marketing, I think would be something that we would really want to improve upon next time. Because by the time Kickstarter started, we were really just kind of tapped out at that point. And we're like, right. well, I mean, we're just going to have to you know, do the best that we can. And luckily the second run of Alchemia and the first run of Steve Sears kind of came in clutch at the end. So that was a nail biting moment. <laughs> oh my God, the last day of both of those. Oh <laughs> my God. Yeah, for Steve Sears, uh, that one did go through in the first try and I have far fewer memories of you guys bugging me on that one. So <laughs> uh, was that one just easier? under the wire though? Yeah. Oh, it was under the wire, <laughs> but a lot of Kickstarters are. So was that experience a lot better or I think uh, it was less pressure? I think overall it went a lot smoother. Uh, yeah. Um, you guys made a different story. The, the prep was smoother. Like we knew what we were hey. doing better this time. We had examples of kind of how we did things with Alchemia, you know, so it was, it was a nice stepping to the next one and like kind of taking those lessons. Um, and we did, we really improved it. We did it a lot faster. Um, Alchemia took from start to finish three years, I think, to make. And and like get it produced and come out. Oh, like, yeah. release it. Um, and then I think it was five years, man. No, it was, it was well, three, but like or four or something, but whatever. I guess technically it was conceived in 2012, but Kinsel yeah. was in 2014, and then it came out in 2017. So I always kind of did it with Kinsel, okay. but you're right, it actually was longer than we were working. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then Steep Sears, we turned around in <laughs> like a year. Yeah, that seemed a lot <laughs> faster, but I feel like from a production standpoint, it was maybe a simpler game? Yes. Definitely simpler <laughs> in, in some ways. Um, we had a few new challenges with the manufacturing aspect. Um, mm. and, and we had to like switch manufacturers, so that was a whole new thing. And um, as Eric said- It was said, to the game's benefit, let me say. Yes. Okay? <laughs> it was definitely to the game's benefit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. Um, and the other thing was the dice. We, we didn't have like custom dice in the first game and, and then in the second one we did and they really were like central to the game because like the look and the feel of them, it's something you're interacting with all the time. It was so important. So it, it was just kind of new for us to like, how do we order custom dice and oh my God, they cost what? And you know, they're <laughs> there were a lot of nice surprises like that along the way. <laughs> I, I can believe it, but uh, sticking on the Kickstarter side of things, uh, is it harder now would you say than has it gotten harder i have a feeling that it kind of has for I would, games i would I know say it's harder for video games i would say because i feel like the culture of kickstarter changed as we were making alchemia uh -huh. yeah like when we started the culture was different by the time we finished it it had changed um in what way just that it was more smaller companies on there. And then by the time we finished, it kind of like moved to, oh, Square Enix has a game on there. What? Wow. You know, kind of thing. So. Well, then you're not. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and the, job, I always thought the point of Kickstarter was to help kind of smaller exactly smaller productions, yeah. right? There is no territory where smaller productions exist that large productions don't try to butt in on and ruin eventually. Yeah. Kickstarter like is free money a, from people kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's a really dangerous idea to consider Kickstarter as a, uh, a long-term solution. I mean, it's rapidly leaving everybody's grasp, and we need to accept that sooner rather than later. Sorry, that, that's a bit of a personal aside. But well, that, that's actually a, a good thing to bring up, because do you think that some other platform will pick up the torch and kind of fill that void? As successfully, there, right? uh, there is opportunity there. Um, it might also be one of those, like, you can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. You can't even capture lightning once. Uh, it, the era might change, right? The, the whole attitude around games is changing. It's been changing for the last 10 years. And uh, I mean, not to, okay, this is this tabletop world, Asmodee, right? Buying up every single property that exists. I mean, it's a, we have our own unstoppable EA version, you know, juggernaut. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, a, a platform like Kickstarter may very well be largely inaccessible in reality in the next few years and there might not be something to replace it um we, we might be living out the last fun days where people of our size can actually fund something on something like that well that thought is kind of depressing so i, know. I hope that um <laughs> that's not the case me too me too um so i'm gonna change i'm gonna pivot here and uh you guys have been working together for almost what 10 years now uh, and five now with Jordan, but it wasn't always at five, but uh, even an indie team working together with two people, that, that's, as I said earlier, it's, that's difficult. Uh, what kind of challenges has it, have you guys had going through this process for two games together? I, per I mean, I personally think that it's been relative, I mean, relatively sm smooth besides the normal things you deal with. Um, I would say that obviously some challenges are you don't get the full say in what goes in your game. You know, if you're making it yourself, you're like, I want this in it. I want this in it. I don't want this in it. You can't do that with a bigger team. But um, I don't want to get into upsides, but I think a good upside quickly is just that you get people to call you out on some of your ideas or, you know, when we've been hanging too long on a game and we just need to sort of, wrap it up and move on that kind of thing um but yeah i would say probably the biggest challenge that i i've experienced is just the you know someone really wanted this mechanic in a game and maybe they came up with it and you have to have that talk of like okay but it's not working <laughs> let's move on and do something else that's really challenging when you're friends and you don't want to like hurt people's feelings and you know so no one was like, fuck you, I hate you? <laughs> um, that, probably at some point, maybe off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but, we didn't tell you about the sixth member of, uh, of our oh. group. <laughs> oh, yeah, we <laughs> don't talk about the sixth member. No, we don't talk now. No. Oh, okay. He's the one that's no longer with us, I assume. Yeah, oh, uh, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and otherwise, you know, uh, just kind of scheduling things and coordination is harder with a bigger team, right? Because, you know, we'll have a convention coming up and I'll be like, oh, you know, who wants to go to this one? And 
everyone does, everyone doesn't, there's some combination schedules get all messy. And so it, you know, it, it makes it a little harder to plan for things necessarily because everybody wants to be involved in some way. Um, and things become a little last minute because of that, you know, so mm -hmm. some coordinating is, is definitely harder with a bigger team, but, um, we've, we've grown into it. I think we, we, our systems for all that kind of stuff are growing. So. <laughs> so are you guys familiar with gumbo? I make great gumbo. I mean, the oh, okay. <laughs> I make gumbo. Uh, the, the game development cooperative in New York city. I, I'm a part of it. The fat oh, games is a part of it. Oh. Uh, so I've had, I've asked the same question to a lot of them and it's, it's a, it's a, you guys are way nicer, but it could be because you don't live in New York city. Uh, they're all great people, by the way, but it's like, yeah, sometimes we fight a lot, but we figure it out. It's like, you guys are just very polite about the whole thing. So that's, uh, that's very refreshing. Maybe, maybe it's a difference in the tabletop versus the video game world. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely times of stress, but, you know, we figure it out and move on. Well, Matt's actually worked on mobile game development within a group and uh, virtually. So right. that's that's a whole different challenge. Uh, that's, I a imagine. Other, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, actually, I think I had more drama in my last class and team than I've ever had with Kinsel for all the years. It's like, really? Oh, and she was from New York. Uh, <laughs> oh. Maybe it's because being people from New York City are are are, are just assholes. <laughs> yeah, us, us upstaters are just a little nicer, I guess. <laughs> You're closer to the Canadian border; it bleeds over the politeness, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did you want to say, Eric? Um, I was going to say it's also important to note that all of us, for the most part, have full-time jobs in addition to working on games. So I think that's one of those things that just helps us all understand that, you know, we all have like limited time to do uh, board game design in our spare time mm -hmm. as small as it right. may be. Mm -hmm. So actually, that's a, that's a great thing to bring up. Uh, how have you guys managed the time? Do you have like a schedule or? Uh, it's sort of, we play it kind of loose at first. And then once, once we've settled on like the next game, and actually we just kind of just started doing this with our third game now, we've really kind of oh you brought up that. the third game okay we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> um but like once we're kind of like okay this is the game here is the concept you know here's some assets you know let's start putting something together once we kind of get to that point we we start laying out kind of a timeline and a schedule of like you know when do we want the game to be released if we're going to do kickstarter when do we need to like you know block off the time for that and how much prep time so we kind of like fill it backwards from there and kind of like figure out um you know what our schedule looks like so we'll put something together and, and kind of define it all out and you know figure it out um my my job is a, uh i'm a software engineer and a project manager for what i do at my company and so i kind of take a lot of what i've learned from that and i use it here in terms of like tasking and building schedules and just trying to organize everybody and keep keep just keep things flowing you know in some i measure. can relate to that mm -hmm. oh yeah you can can't you <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, producing a tabletop game, had, the challenges of producing that are, are, are way different. I, I, I thought that maybe that actually would be harder, but I just want to say different than maybe producing a digital game. Um, let's talk about that process. Like, how do you find vendors and all that stuff to manufacture this and do what you need to get done, done? Begging them. <laughs> Begging them. Well, luckily, um, manufacturers are quite eager to um, 
take your money. Work with us yeah. and take our money, yes. Yeah, we're swatting them away most of the time. Interesting. Um, well, what is the process? Like, like I, I've, I've never done this before. I'm curious. Gosh, well, uh, I guess at what point in the process do you want to start? Well, we yeah, can start with the we printing. We can talk early game. We can talk mid game. We can talk production. Card sleeves. Talk, printed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, no, uh, notebook paper and card sleeves to. When a dice tower and a set of cards really love each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So basically you're saying you have different vendors for different aspects of the game, but you still need to sort of bring that all together and put it all together in a nice happy box to ship it out to customers. So in so some ways it's like a coordination nightmare. In it, some ways it's just as simple as like just purchasing a bunch of small objects, right? I mean, right now you could go online and you could order a t-shirt with a face on it and you wouldn't think it's particularly complicated to get a t-shirt with a face on it. Uh, the complication is much more so in how to do 20,000 of them and producing all the different components from different places, that sort of thing. Um, of a... course, Matt and Adam have much more experience with this actual portion of it. <laughs> I was going to say, we have, you know, when you get to the like, I'm done mode, then you send it to, do we name names here? I don't know. <laughs> uh, we use, oh gosh, can't even remember. We use Wingo for our producer for Alchemia, and we use Long Pack Games for steep but for actual like play testing oh, for prototyping uh game crafter we use them a lot yeah um we they... actually visited them did we wasn't that the one we visited in florida no that's iga iga um oh, but game crafter is a service that is like a manufacturer um in that you can make custom parts um and you know upload your art and things like that and they'll make everything for you but they do their orders in small batches so that's um, for prototyping specifically exactly that, yeah that's their model then it's yep. really nice clean finish kind of thing to bring to the conventions and, and you know, mm -hmm. drum up support to get your Kickstarter funded. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what we've done. Yeah. Usually we'll make something from Game Crafter and take it to several conventions, but most importantly, we've kind of, the one we like most lately is uh, Metatopia. Um, that one is perfect for playtesting and, and for alphas and, and betas. There's no pressure of sales. There's no pressure of completeness. Everyone is just there to test new ideas and talk about them. Metatopia? Metatopia. New Jersey? It's in New Jersey yeah. in, in like November. But um, yeah, and actually we're, we're planning on going with our third game this year. Oh. That's exciting. So what's like the cost of some of that then? Uh, I'm a complete noob here. I, I know nothing about tabletop development. It depends on the components, really. Um, you know, the the number of cards or, you know, the number of things, the materials they're made out of, are they custom? Are they standard? Like uh, getting a standard size D6 die with, you know, pips on them is super cheap. But then if you want to get a twice the size die that's colored and custom cut with engravings, that's like... <laughs> six times the price is what it would normally have been you know so it really varies depending on what you want in your game well and a huge factor now that i actually can't even fathom when we're going to have to deal with this mm -hmm. is the shipping costs because we have now you know things are made in china typically and so that's where our games have come from so we've got long pack and wingo and they were our uh, manufacturers mm -hmm. and you know but then you have to get it on the boat and get it over here so you have a I mean, the wait time is typically, you know, 30 to 50 days uh, in the in the, in the ocean. Uh, and it used to cost, you know, um, I don't know, 
couple few thousand dollars just a couple thousand i mean we didn't really spend too much on the actual shipping to us which was yeah. nice it was a good surprise it's been like 200 to 300 percent increase in shipping costs so, so is that because of covid or is that lead back some of the tariffs that trump did or is it a combination of both that's a combination you've got um you've got the actual uh, you know, the tariffs are huge. Um, that was when we got steep sears in, I, I was like checking the website constantly, like, mm-hmm. are we going to get this extra 25% or 10% or I mean, whatever it might be on the value of the items? We dodged that bullet by like a month. Yeah. Two. I don't, I mean, we, we Since almost we, got the tariff. Yeah. I don't know the current status or situation. Yeah. Like are people being charged this extra 25% or extra 10 or 15%? Because that that's wild. Mm-hmm. But the actual freight cost, the cost to get it from port to port and then get it from a freight truck to your where you know your final location, uh, which in our case was a storage facility, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's gone up dramatically. And it's it is because of COVID. Uh, there was that one spot in the recent history where the Suez Canal got backed up with All a right. prices I work in I work in, you know, uh, uh, I bring in product from China in my regular day-to-day jobs. So like that's why I kind of know a little bit more about mm-hmm. that, but it's, it, it's created like the prices will go, go up and up. Uh, a crisis happens. It goes up and up. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come down. <laughs> that's what I'm feeling so far. It might eventually, but I just, th- when I think about getting into our next one, uh, shipping costs to get it here is going to be a huge factor. You're going to have to remember, I don't need $20,000. I need uh, $20,000. 7,000, 28,000, you know, who knows, but it's, it's a scary time for sure. (laughs) Wow. So have you had, have you done any second runs on Alchemy or Steep Sears since you first? No, we did ditch the storage facility luckily, and we were able to store it in other means because we did sell, you know, a a number of them, but yeah, we still have, have, uh, plenty of of games people <laughs> ready <laughs> for Great. so let's hey, sell you guys some games ginsellstudio.com um, you know <laughs> check it out <laughs> they're a great game in times past the gift of steam site was highly respected and cherished by all those who possess this gift, known as steep seers, can observe foretelling visions within the steam of various teas. By brewing just the right ingredients, those bestowed with steam sight can create a myriad of prosthetic steams. Oh, pardon me a second. The right ingredients and help from steam spirits, like myself, of course. (laughs) Okay, where was I? Right. The steep seer then interprets the vision and offers their visitors sound advice. It used to be that I had near constant requests from steep seers to aid in their visions. The knocks at the door are fewer and fewer in recent times. Something has spooked the humans into acting as if we don't exist. Perhaps that is why we are fading away. Time is of the essence as we enter our final 10 days. 
Belief in us must be restored before we, spirits and steep seers, vanish forever. Choose one of four tea houses to call home. Attune to various vision cards which you will attempt to fulfill with the right ingredients. Don't worry, we steam spirits will help you out along the way. Roll the dice and collect ingredients to place in your teapot. You will have to remember that what has gone into your teapot and wisely choose when to make the pour. If the needed ingredients are present, the vision is triggered. Take the vision card, reattune, and begin brewing your next tea. Visions generate belief, and you will have in-game and end-of-game effects to boost belief even higher. Be the one to inspire the most belief. Perhaps you will go down in history as the one who saved us all. Willing to talk about your sales? Yeah, sure. Uh, what do you want to know? Yeah. How, how have they been? How you doing? How you have <laughs> my ads? Well, first you have a product and then you talk to it. No, okay. Um, so it, they've been pretty good, um, especially considering like uh, it's, it's again, uh, us really, it's a small team. We don't really have uh, any distribution deals or uh, big store contracts right now. Um, we get our games into a lot of small local stores um, by basically just walking in and talking to the owners. Um, Eric has done a great job walking through most of like the Ithaca and Southern like tier area there of New York and getting our games all around. <laughs> We're Give technically selling internationally now too. Oh, oh really? That's true. Because I went to my local game store and sold a copy. Uh, so that felt great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there slowly. Um, conventions, again, have become kind of the main way that we get our games out there and, and in, in people's faces and excited about them. And, and we have really good success um, at most conventions when we can be there talking about the games and get people really into it. Um, I would say we've probably sold out half of both of our products so far, um, which, again, that's like several hundred copies uh, each. So that's, I think that's really good for, you know, a small team with fairly limited resources at this point. That's awesome. Uh, I can only imagine how difficult that would be. So um, when Gary and I launched Burgle's Bounty uh, four years ago now, we made $86 off that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey man, that's a lot more than I thought we did. I thought we only made like five bucks. <laughs> uh, we made a whole eighty-six dollars. Where's Gary. the profits, Blair? You pocketed that. <laughs> <laughs> they went right back into Kids of Carindale, <laughs> and Kids of Carindale off of the uh, donations from HIO were at about fifty dollars, and the game still has probably a good four to five years left in the development cycle. So I would say we're doing pretty good already. <laughs> All right, so game three, guys. What is it? What can you tell? What do you want to share? Suppose I'm up, huh? Um, yeah. So our third game is called Sally's Submersible. Um, it concerns the titular Sally, who is a mad woman on a quest to prove the existence of Atlantis in her homemade sub. So it's a bit I already of a... like this concept. I, I'm <laughs> Keep... Yeah, it sounds awesome. It's a bit of a departure from uh, 
the theming we had going with the first two games. Um, I would say actually it's a bit of a departure in every respect. Um, it's not a crafting game. It's not a uh, non-violent game. Uh, it's it's a explorative, uh, lightly combat combative game where you're really you're managing your uh, you know what? in fairness it is a resource management game. Um, your sub has a number of different systems, and Sally is running a submarine by herself, which is not easy it's a bad idea and it was made in her front yard so <laughs> it is constantly taking in water systems are bursting into flames she has to manage them all as she's navigating the ocean fighting monsters discovering wacky things um all while searching for the key to the gate of atlantis uh, worms. To... yeah there's rusal worms it's true worms. Watch what, out. What a, and rusal worms monsters <laughs> um, so is everyone playing as sally or is their own version of Sally? Is there a Karen involved in there, maybe? So, so <laughs> Sorry, I if you're playing myself. by... So it's worth mentioning, I, I should have said this at first, it is a solo game okay. uh, initially. Um, it can be played with four players, but it's, uh, its standard play is solo. Hello, oh, your cat looks just like mine. Uh, say hi, and then say bye. Hi, kitty. Um, so yes, it's a solo game, but there is accommodation for three more players who are uh, three different characters who are actually part of the story of the game, which uh, the game has a, a, a light campaign that one can play. So you have a series of missions to play. Um, but in, it's kind of a weird word within tabletop play, but it's technically a procedurally generated game with tiles. Um, so the game... Sorry, how does that work? A so it's really generated tabletop game. Yeah, so e each time you move the sub, uh, you can go to a different a different tile. Um, there's three different levels of water, um, each level being deeper and di more difficult and carrying more frightening uh, monsters. But of course, you have to go very, very deep to find Atlantis. Um, if there is Atlantis, spoilers. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's actually handled quite simply. It's a grid of uh, flipped over tiles and then you hop from one to, to the next. Um, and certain tiles have a chance to have an encounter on them, which is a monster or maybe some treasure or some other unique event. Um, and you're picking up upgrades and more resources. And so each time you play, you should, it'll probably be different from the last time you played. So was this one a play NYC? Did you show this off? I did not. Um, I wasn't sure the degree to which I could talk about it at the time. Um, I had uh, a couple of people asking, you know, if we had anything planned up next. And I said, well, yes, we do. But uh, I can't say anything. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I could. So I just defaulted to I can't, I can't no comment. How far, how far along are you guys? Well, um, so it's worth mentioning that the initial creation of this game was back in uh, January of 2020. Okay. Because as a personal uh, test for myself, aside from working with Kinsel, I challenged myself to make 12 games in 12 months. And so 
each month make a, a new tabletop game. It's like doing a major game jam jam for like an actual digital game or something. Right. right. So I wanted as a designer to test myself um, specifically in, in places where I felt I was weak as a designer, um, but also to explore like cool concepts that I'd thought about a million times but never did anything with it. So I have a whole host of games now that I have on my computer or uh, prototyped throughout my studio um, that are just sort of like one to two mechanics slammed together in a gameplay loop. Um, so Sally's was the first of the projects though. Um, I, because it was a challenge to myself because I, I don't like dice. I don't like dice in general for tabletop games because um, there's a certain variety, certain type of randomness that I don't think is particularly fun. So with that in mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself to make a dice game. So that way I can, I have to get good at math. Well, better at math, but also I have to sort of analyze what the weaknesses of dice are and how to improve upon those things that I perceive as weaknesses. Um, and, and maybe gain an appreciation for why I see these consistent, what, what I think are faults within uh, dice-based games. So anyway, I, I just got to work I made a bunch of, I made all the artwork, I made all the pieces, I printed it out. Uh, so I have various copies laying around the house. Um, and then as time drew on, I mean, I can't keep this a secret from Kinsel, you know, <laughs> like, hey guys, check it out. I've had this game I've been making. And of course, by that point, they're like, yeah, we hear this a lot from you. You've made it a lot of games. <laughs> um, yeah, Jordan. So, <laughs> Like uh, I mean, sure. <laughs> I I literally have. Um, oh, we're gonna see it, are we? We're on a trip, <gasps> field trip. <laughs> All right, we're gonna be able to see something that we probably shouldn't see. Well, in my studio, <laughs> I, have, oh. I have my game uh, toolkit, which uh, is just filled with all my little pieces and tools that I want. Whenever I'm just thinking I might make a game, I have some idea. This is all faded from. Uh, martial arts card game <laughs> card and dice game that i made um so yeah jordan, jordan likes to hand make a lot of his initial pieces for things like we, we were at a show one time he was sitting there like sculpt actually sculpting yeah <laughs> i remember that I, I do an awful lot of prototyping for myself because i can't be bothered to wait for shipping times um Fair. oh yeah this is my i upgraded to a larger kit there um, can I show some of Sally's, like yeah. the early stuff? No. <laughs> Management has spoken. <laughs> so this is the initial version, which can fit in a bag this small. Wow. Missing some pieces, though. I forgot where those went. Here's our little resource tracker. That's how much water you've taken in, your hull value, your weapons, your fuel, and your electricity. Um, see if I can find anything fun. But the tiles, oh gosh, this is literally the first one I made, I can tell, because the, the real one's printed. Uh, so I have wrote an eye on it. <laughs> so yeah, we have weird little monsters on the tiles. Some of them are blank. <laughs> Where's the Rusal worm? 
I can show you a Rusal worm. That's true. Um, did you print these off yourself then? I did. I did. I drew all the art just so that way. I don't know. It's easier for me to imagine what the game really looks like if I've made some stuff for it. And this is what Jeff was asking for, by the way. This is the Rusal worm. Occasionally, Sally has little uh, post-it notes that she puts across the console of her sub, and you can read them here. I like the Sally person. She seems very organized. She's an interesting lady. She's partially on this journey because she's running from the HOA. So <laughs> I don't blame her for that at all. <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, I wish I remembered exactly where I, I just moved to this new apartment. So I don't know where all my stuff is, but I wish I could find the slightly more complete version of the game. But anyway, so to answer the real question that you asked at the beginning of this, um, just a few months ago, we sort of decided that, you know, COVID uh, somewhat easing up, it's time to get back into the game design world because Sally's had been paused for basically the entire pandemic. Oh, ouch. Um, yeah. Uh, so the game, a version of the game is complete. Um, and the latest version, which has been quite updated since its initial release, is uh, I just finished it up, what, two days ago? And we're going to start testing it together and playing around with the pieces. And we'll be bringing that version to Metatopia uh, first week of, no of November. Great. So, so dare I ask, Kickstarter? At this point, probably. Yeah, pro Most yes, likely. probably. Um, mainly just because we don't have a good alternative at the moment. Uh, I've got just, my money. Just so you know. Under, great. You're still going to get all the messages, though. Sorry. That's yeah. Probably at least two from each of us. Great. <laughs> at least. That's I'm excited for it now. Multiples of us. Like, you, you get Jordan them. sold me. I want yeah. this game. Just, like, I'm ready <laughs> like, now. Hey, so I, just, a, I don't need more people. I can play this game alone, it sounds like. And that's, that, that's the biggest problem with. The other games, they have very few people to play with. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, just to know, I have no friends on Steep Sears, that actually is a one to four player game. Mm -hmm. So you can that play it by yourself. That's true. I you haven't can. done it before. You it's, should. it's fun, actually. It's good. I'll so give, I'll give that a try. It's been a while. As you have a, a kettle, Blair? It sounds like you need to brew some tea for this game. You do. I, uh, I do have a kettle and I have a lot of tea. I should. It's only proper. You should have some tea and some like nice little Zen music. We actually made a soundtrack for the game as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh gosh, knowing I so many talent like don't my sister. Know if I knew that. Oh, we know a lot of musicians. You we know a lot of musicians. My sister did some music for the first one, mm -hmm. and uh, she's done everything. Okay, oh, she's she not, also she's a musician, an electrician. She's an artist, so she made uh, some of the stretch goals. Is that what it was? Yeah, this is one of the this is one of the highest reward tier items we had into the steep tier kickstarter was a custom made box uh, from her that she would wood burn and carve and wait is it is this one filled no this one's not filled um, she would fill them with like a foam and a colored silk of, of you know use a player's choice that was the logo right there is steep Sears one yeah holy crap like the amount of effort that that is just phenomenal uh, yes uh erica zalatin what would Erica do mm -hmm. on Instagram? What, and then the word would, W-O-O-D, Erica do. Check it out. <laughs> Adam, this is about us? Yeah, not My us. sister's talented. <laughs> yes, no, she is very talented. She, she is. Definitely. 
<laughs> Blair, I can leave you with a final teaser here. I, I would love a final teaser. Can I share screen? Is that possible? Uh, yes, it will be picked up in recording, but they'll only be able to oh, see it on fine. YouTube. But that's great. Go for it. The art is not necessarily representative of the final results. This is, we'll have a real artist make it in the end. But this is the teaser that we have just for uh, the splash graphic to put on the, the Game Crafter box and everything. And that's your sub right there. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, we're Sally. very excited about this one. And we, we're definitely planning to take you know all the lessons that we've learned from the two games now and, and really see what we can do about making this game uh, a little more quickly, a little more efficiently, you know, less stress as much as possible. Um, and and just keep refining our process, you know, like we, we have so many game ideas between all of us of all different things that we want to do and, and try. And and I like to think that, even you know, we're on our third game, which is more than so many other small like indie companies can even say um, we've been going for a while. And I'd like to think it's the beginning. You know, I think we have a lot more to give. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I think we I think we have like a document in Dropbox called Game Ideas, and there's like 20 on there, just waiting to for us to make them at some point. Mm -hmm. Just kind, just kind of like Jordan said, he is you know one of the game ideas. We before Jordan had the same thing, so mm -hmm. we have a lot of ideas to make games about. Well, we got a long way to go. Then sounds exciting. Yeah. Never gonna run out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Gary, how does this sound? Do you guys want to, you, do you want to make tabletop games next? We've had that one idea on the, in the pipeline for like uh, 20 years. Well, you know, I did ask this uh, of you. I, I, I can't remember if it was actually during the podcast or not, but uh, I remember back in the day, you, Phil, and your brother had a, uh, had an idea for the game. I think it was called Royal Block. Uh, Royal Guard was the official name, and it was based off a game that you and your brother made, actually. So. It was mostly, it was mostly my brother. Like, uh, I think the, the game that that we made, I guess, was kind of like more like a quick, a quick, a quick game that you can play within kind of like 10, 15 minutes. But I remember when we played your version, it was more kind of like long, longer and Go more involved. For, yeah, it was far more strategic and yeah. could last for a while. It was a, just to use a standard 50, actually, we use Jokers too. So it was 54 card deck. Um, it, it, we could make our own deck out of it, but it was basically just a card game. But uh, we found it a lot of fun. Who knows if other people would. I believe Phil actually made a version of it on computer many years ago, but I've, I've never seen that version of it. And I think he wanted to make online play out of it too. But I, I don't know if that ever went anywhere where, where it's, let's state that's in, but hey, maybe it's so we can revisit one day. Dude, do you even remember how to play it? I do. The instructions. Oh, you do. Are, wow. Okay. Yeah, we've got the instructions documented. Ah, <laughs> uh, instructions. Yeah, important. And you actually have the instructions. I do. Because yes. this must have been like pen and paper type days. Uh, no, I moved them over to Google Drive uh, some years ago. Oh, smart man. Nice, fancy. So, um, but we're not going to end with Gary and I. We are going to ask you guys for what advice you would give to any other crazy inspiring tabletop designers or just any indie game developer out there because you guys have been doing this for quite a while now and you you're pretty solid at it luckily information on how to be successful when 
um, at least bring in a game to Kickstarter. It's not super coveted in the board game world, as in I would recommend going to some of the larger board game designers' websites, and a lot of them have very helpful blogs that you can use. And they'll cover everything from, you know, how to ship and, you know, who to market to, um, you know, do's and don'ts of board game designing, pretty much any help topic you can find. A lot of um, designers will have them for you. So a lot of them have paved the way in that regard. So it's easy to do that. However, kind of getting your own resources kind of like pooled together and getting ready to that point is kind of like the difficulty that we have at least faced. Yeah. I think if you attend the, you know, if you can get to a convention, whether it be physical or virtually, if you can get to a convention and you can go to the panels, that's where like we got to hear a lot of the key information of like what, you know, roadblocks you're going to face and what, you know, mm -hmm. things, you know, things that we can say now that we, we couldn't have known before. Uh, and so, so listening to the people who've come before you uh, is if you can get in that situation, do mm -hmm. it. <laughs> So like what about things like finding vendors and stuff because you guys mentioned a few but how did you find them uh how did i find them i think it was just i think we were just kind of searching around the internet taking some um advice from people that we had met at conventions and stuff and oh you know actually okay we did do all that but ultimately um these two came from um a support group that we are a part of called the indie game alliance iga iga yep. Um, and I was, I was going to bring that up as my next point. Um, they are a group dedicated to tabletop designers uh, in the indie realm. Um, and they're all about helping give you the resources that you need. They, they've made deals with manufacturers, retailers, distributors, um, everything you possibly need to make a game. And they've got like discounts and, and the different special things you can do by being a member. Um, and so we are a member of them with them. We've been with them for a very long time. Um, and both Wingo and Longpack had um, really good discounts with them. And so we were like, you know, well, let's look into them and who, who are they, you know, and that we just sort of struck up the conversation from there and it ended up being a good fit. Um, so that, I guess that'd be part of my advice is there's a lot of support groups out there. Um, something like IGA for sure. Um, and there's, I'm sure there's others, but that's the one we fell into and we really enjoy it. Yeah. And if you can, going to the bigger conventions such as um, Gen Con, for example, if you go there, almost, I don't want to say all of them, but a huge portion of manufacturers, both um, local and international, have representatives at those conventions. And you can even chat with them and kind of get an idea of what they can do for you and the rates and how many games you can make, et cetera. Yeah. My advice. It's kind of a, on a little different aspect of the game making is because, uh, again, I do a lot of the concept creation. So that's kind of where my brain does a lot of stuff is like finding a good balance between making the game that you want to make. No matter what anyone tells you, because you're going to have some people that are like, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. Um, so making the game you want to make and at the same time we struggle with this a little bit in the beginning with Alchemia, remembering that you are making a game for other people to play. So you might have to let go of those mechanics that you really wanted in the game, but they're just not working in the game. So I know for us, we kind of toss them aside and say, okay, maybe this would work in a different game. So you have to, you know, again, be willing to let go of stuff 
because you are making a game for the people to play, but at the same time, stick to your guns, stick to what you want to make. You know, if you want to make a game about, I don't know, you know, digging a hole and filling it with water, if someone tells you that's stupid, ignore them and do it anyways. Make the game that you want to make, ultimately, because you want to make a game that you're happy with. And there's going to be so many opinions and so many voices out there telling you that you're wrong or that it's bad or your font's weird or the color's weird on something. And you, like, you've got, got a lot kind of blowback on font. It's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't talk <laughs> to us about font. People are like, I don't want to back your game because I don't like the font. And you're like, okay. Literally, someone said that to us. Yeah. Wow. So That's weird, but okay. <laughs> I am. Uh, the public is fickle. But it is. Quite. Quite. And yet, the same. At the best point, more, I was going to say test. Test your game. Play testing. So mm-hmm. often. So many people. We didn't learn that lesson ourselves that Jeff was just talking about with Alchemia until we went to a lot more places and especially Metatopia and demoed these games for people and got like all that honest feedback about. But striking a delicate balance and not taking to heart like, oh, this one person oh, said yes. this, so let's change everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you actually have to stick to your guns and go with something that someone tried to point out to you that they didn't like. Uh, you know, you, you still have to go with like play test, play test, play test, yeah. and does it work? Because and... your final game will never be what you originally had. Like Alchemia has transformed <laughs> over the years. Traumatic. <laughs> I have the original version. Uh, oh no, I moved it. It's in the other room. I looked at it recently and <laughs> I forgot how different it was. I think it's you important for seven or eight hours to make, try original outcome to make one item. <laughs> yeah, can you make one item? You have one eight item. hours. You need you to make like try. six, but can you make one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think cool. it's important to remember as well that when people, especially strangers, play test your games, you can learn things from them. You can get important data from them that is not their suggestions for how to make the game better. At the end of the day, it's your game you're probably the best suited towards figuring out how to make it good. Other people only have their sensory experience. They don't, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And in many cases, they know absolutely nothing about game design. So if they say something, ooh, I want to have this or that, you can sort of listen to them, but also trust yourself a little bit. You can learn things from people like, uh, game design is a lot like uh, sort of public space design, where, you know, like uh, there's the famous example of Um, If you have a crossbar on a door, everybody knows push. Nobody pulls a crossbar. That's insane. So if you go up to a door and it turns out you were supposed to pull on a crossbar, that's annoying. It's a failure in design. So if you're watching your players consistently make some wrong action as far as you're concerned when using your game, it might be that as a player, they misunderstood something. But if it keeps happening it might be that you made some design flaw and they can't tell you what happened. They don't know. They're just, they failed at whatever it was or they missed something, but you need to keep your eyes open and notice like, huh, nobody's understanding this rule that I came up with. So it's not other people's fault. I have to rewrite it. I have to change it. I have to change the way that people interact with it, whatever the case may be. Um, So it takes a little bit of psychological sleuthing, but it's, it's an important stage. I think this is incredible advice. It is probably, not to disparage our previous podcast guests, probably some of the most detailed 
and applicable advice, not just to tabletop, but also to indie video game development that I think we've heard yet. Um, basically, listen to your audience, but also be mindful of what your audience brings to the table. You are the designer. You're the boss. Yeah, right? you're, the, like, you're the boss then. I mean, imagine if your house guests came over for a party and you planned nothing until they arrive. It's kind of a bad, a bad move. You shouldn't do that. You know, you should have some idea of what you want to do. Sometimes those random parties can be kind of fun, though. How do you know how that's how <laughs> it's a game it jam? <laughs> that's the video game sorts. Yeah. <laughs> but it starts with a common language. That's the important step. Figuring out, making sure that you're speaking the same language. And a lot of times, it turns out you're not. You thought you were saying the same things, and you you were not. Yeah, that's that's incredible that's advice. Cool. That's really good advice. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. I have to say, um, I have loved having you all on. Oh, uh, it's over. No. <laughs> what about it's our in-detail bios of each one? <laughs> we, we we can include that in a write-up if you'd like. But um, <laughs> I, I've, my God, I've missed you I guys. I typed up twenty-five pages. <laughs> I, I've missed you guys. It's uh, it's been too many years since I've seen you all, and this has been a lot of fun. And it just kind of reminds me of uh, it actually reminds me of the night we had at FlameCon too in my hotel room. We're all hanging out and some of the fun conversations we've had there. Um, so I I'm glad that the world's sort of kind of reopening. I hope we get to see each other in person again, Jordan. You too. It would be nice to meet Thanks. you in person. You should look into Play NYC. It's, it's there's literally a train will take you right there. I mean, I, I was supposed to be there as I was supposed sorry, to. Sorry, I said Play NYC. I'm sorry. Metatopia. You should come to Metatopia. That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Where is Metatopia? That's in uh, uh, Middle Morristown. Morristown, Morristown, New, Morristown Jersey. New Jersey. Morristown. All right. I do know where Morristown is. I'm going to check that out. When, when is it again? Uh, it's really November. November something. I want to say it's November 6th through the 10th. Okay. Something, something in that range. I'm going to be there. Uh, some, some grouping of the rest might be there as well. We're not certain yet, but I'll certainly be there. We'll see. Yes, definitely, Dorian. <laughs> definitely. I, I'm going to look into that because it, it sounds like a great time. It's really, really fun. I mean, I'm sorry. It's the best convention. I there's just it. like there's it's like the walls one. of there's just walls of games to sign up for that are all testing. And that's the fun. This room is literal pieces of paper on a huge wall, and it covers the wall of all the games, all the sign up times, everything. And and just go sign up for games and play them and try. If you have any cynicism fatigue, go to Metatopia. It's just hope. Everybody's hopeful. Everyone's excited. (laughs) Everyone's making We we need some hope right now. Oh, I'm mentioning Metatopia, right? There, there's some exceptions. There's that, a few but, exceptions yeah. that we won't name. Don't be a gill. Yeah, don't be a gill. No names. No names. No names. We can, so. uh, we can beat that off you guys. <laughs> he knows what I'll he did. I'll be sure to throw up all the information description on it. Uh, so everyone who watches this uh, or listens to this will have that. Um, but again, I would love to see you guys in person again soon. It's been awesome. Thank you for doing this. And Thank you. It's been a great time. You guys are a fun, creative bunch. I uh, I kind of miss the days when me and Blair had, you know, kind of like a little crew. Mm-hmm. Make, uh, take kids to Carindale. We are the crew, Gary. It's just you and I. I know. Yeah. The two crew. 
Right. Hey, crew. I hope we get to meet you guys someday at a convention. Actually, you know, sit down and play Alchemy or Steep Sea. Or oh, yeah. That would be great. That would be absolutely that would, great. That would be cool, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Soon. We'll make it happen. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Good night.